was putting on my um, mic this morning, and I was saying to AJ, I'm running out of places on my head to put things. So we got to figure out uh, how to deal with that. Okay. Today I want to talk about, I sort of want to do a, an extension from last week's, which is about deconstruction and the ways that that path can be tempting to some of us, but I want to come at it uh, from, a, from a slightly different angle, and that angle is this. Why is it that when some people experience a crisis of faith, some people really um, go all the way to abandoning their faith, and for other people it's, it's sort of catalytic, it's a fuel, it's not easy, but it actually becomes a doorway to a deeper faith and a richer faith. And maybe you can testify to that dynamic in your own life or look around you and see, know people in your life who, we all go through crises of faith. We talked about men, all the, not all, but many of the reasons why that can prompt those crises. But why is it that some in those crises turn to God and somehow are able to work through things while others, even if they're trying, it just feels like it's a slippery slope down to, in some cases, deconstruction and even deconversion. Why do some people experience a crisis of faith and fall away or shrink back and other people become stronger and they actually become more, um, the language, the lang what I wrote down is like they become more substantial, like they actually become more solid because of their movement. Um, or anti-fragile. I really like that terminology of, of anti-fragile, that when something is, is broken, resilience is that it can come back together. But anti-fragility, it can come back together in a way that was stronger than it was before. And I've seen that with people. I've seen people broken by life and by really difficult circumstances. And yet their faith has come back and they've developed an anti-fragile faith. It's actually stronger more deeper, more richer. And I want to talk this morning and have us brainstorm what's going on there. So when we talk about faith and what faith is, a good starting point is always Hebrews 11, where the writer of Hebrews says, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. So faith has this dynamic of confidence and assurance. It's having a sense of, yeah, I know I'm trusting in God. I know that he is going to fulfill his promises broadly to his people. Um, and even though I don't see how that is going to play out in my current situation, I can trust that. And there's a kind of a settled confidence there and there's an assurance. And obviously for all of us, that level of confidence and assurance wavers as we move through different experiences. Um, but that is the core of faith. Now, the posture of faith that we show up for every day, I think um, um, the pastor, I have Josh Porter here. That's not his name, though. Uh, it's Josh someone else. Um, he talked about, and I mentioned this last week, that faith is a willful disposition, sorry, a willful disciplined life, regardless of doubt and disillusionment. So the walk of faith isn't denying that you're going to have times of doubt and disillusionment, but it is saying, I can't have those times or seasons of life um, co-opt my faith, shipwreck my faith. I need to figure out a way to continue to follow Jesus with the questions, with the doubts, with the disillusionment. And so it's a stance that I move into every day. 
But even as I say that, you can probably think of times in your life where you get out of bed and that disposition or that posture, sometimes that comes very easily. And other times it's just feels like the farthest thing away. Like you just can't even envision what that looks like or what that's supposed to feel like. And you pray and there's just this stunted kind of nothing. Or even worse, you feel overwhelmed by some particular hardship. And it just feels like it's very, very difficult to muster any kind of confidence and assurance and move forward in faith. I want us to read. I've handed out some scriptures on faith, on the nature of faith. Not everything the Bible has to say, but they present kind of a broad view. Um, most of them are taken from, actually I think all of them are taken from uh, the New Testament. And I want you to listen as people read and see if you can pick up on a theme that sort of connects all of these together. Okay, so I'm going to read the first one, Romans 8, verses 18 to 21. This is Paul explaining to the Roman church. Um, He's referencing Abraham's story where Abraham had to trust God and trust that God was going to deliver uh, a child and a seed of promise and you know, these huge, vast number of descendants and God was going to make Abraham into a great nation, even though he and Sarah were way past childbearing years. So everything around them said, this is impossible. This can't be true. I'm foolhardy and reckless to believe this. Paul writes, against all hope, Abraham in hope believed. And so he became the father of many nations, just as had been said to him so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old, and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. Who has Colossians 2.7? Just either stand or read it loud from where you are. Acts 16.5. Revelation 2 Thessalonians 1 3. Matthew 14 31. Romans 14 1. Luke 7, 9. 1 Timothy 6, 11. Second Timothy two twenty two. 
Okay, we're in the final stretch. Luke 17.5. Acts 14.21-22. And lastly, Jude 1, verses 20-21. Anything that you notice there in terms of one of the themes, uh, maybe a word that gets repeated or a theme that as you're listening to it, you're kind of like, there's probably, probably more than one right answer, so you don't need to feel like a, on the spot. But anything you notice there, when it's talking about faith, being intentional, excellent, very good. What else did you notice? In community, excellent. We'll touch on that in a moment. Anything else? Love. Encouragement, excellent. In almost every passage, what are we supposed to do with our faith? Strengthen, strengthen, grow, expand. Sometimes we think of faith like an on-off switch. Christians have faith, unbelievers don't have faith in Christ. On-off. I have faith and yeah, I have faith. But the Bible doesn't really think, talk often to Christians about the on-off dimension of faith. Yes, there is a time where you don't have faith and then you place your faith in Christ. You are saved and sealed and delivered and justified because of Jesus' grace. But after that, the pattern that we are to live into as disciples of Jesus is to grow and strengthen our faith. And in this way, faith is a lot more like a muscle that isn't like, are you strong or not? Or do you have muscles or do you not? Everybody in this room has muscles. But some people have mus muscles that are conditioned to certain types of activity much more than others because they've been training them. They've been strengthening them. In the New Testament, when it's instructing Christians, we see this pattern that you can have a little faith, you can have a weak faith, or you can have a strong faith. And what I want to talk about this morning is how important it is to understand that no matter what stage of faith you're at, whether you've been a Christian for a few months or for 50 years, there's a calling on your life to deepen and strengthen that faith. And you need to, because too many Christians, I think, have settled, or at least many Christians I find who have deconstructed or are deconstructing, not all, but many sort of at some point shifted into like, I have a good enough faith. Like, I have faith. But they stopped being intentional with other Christians in community, with a heart to learn to love God and love other people, even with the doubts and the discouragements and the disillusionment, to strengthen their faith. And kind of like if you settle at some point for, this marriage is good enough. They have a good enough marriage. Investing in your marriage like takes a lot of time and energy. Like this is that's just kind of like going to cruise control here. That can work 
until you hit the crisis point. And often, a good enough marriage, as long as it has a, if it has a lot of momentum of just being good enough and minimal investment, or you're married though, but just being married, in a sense, won't necessarily save a marriage. You have to be investing in it because that's a time where strength is needed. And if you haven't been exercising the muscle of your marriage, of intimacy and connection and growth and humility and submission to one another and care for one another, then when challenges come, the superficiality and potentially the frailty of your marriage can show. And it's the same way with our faith. I get why people settle for a good enough faith. We're used to living in an age, well, no, we're not, but it wasn't that long ago that you, we did live in an age where there was kind of a, um, the social ecosystem that I would say was generally pro-Christian and pro-faith. It was, you know, more people than not went to church, more people than not had a Bible, they read it. Maybe they weren't like super Jesus-y Bible-thumping people, but they, they embraced Judeo-Christian values. There was a stream in the public consciousness that sort of moved people. You, you could kind of rest and take your foot off the gas, and you'd still sort of move towards Jesus and growing in your faith. But that world does not exist anymore. Like, it is gone. Today, there are almost no external prompts and nudges towards faith. Every, almost every, unless you really go out of your way, almost every external nudge and input is cynical, skeptical, deconstructive, uh, sowing seeds of doubt, sowing seeds of unbelief, maybe just to a small degree all the way to a large degree. Social media amplifies those voices. And what that means is if you want a strong, resilient, anti-fragile faith, you are, you're going to have to develop it with some blood, sweat, and tears. Many people that I know personally who have deconstructed are people who have shown up to church and kind of done some stuff and they read devotionals, but it's still underneath and a little bit passive because they're surrounded by Christians and Maybe they grew up in church and they grew up in youth group and faith was easy and your friends are in a Christian school. And it's like, yeah, we all kind of believe this stuff. And then the crisis comes and you realize, uh, my faith has kind of been good enough, but that's because I had a lot of scaffolding around me. Now that I'm hearing these ideas, hearing these anti-Christian views and reasons why I should abandon faith and why it's toxic or misogynist or fill in the blank, I'm pretty vulnerable. Um, that pastor, um, Josh Parker, I was listening to a Q&A that I'll put in this week's summit. It's very, very good. It's only 20 minutes, but it's very, very brilliant. He says, um, he's probably Gen Z, so he's younger than me, like maybe like late 20s. And he said, cynicism comes very easily to me, even as a Christian. Um, I've just grown up in a culture that's very cynical. And he said, what I've learned is that I have to order my thinking and my environment in such a way as to contribute to faithfulness instead of faithlessness. And he says, because given where we live, and he was speaking to an, art, uh, an audience in Portland, but that has kind of the same hyper-progressive um, worldview and um, underlying faith commitments as Nelson uh, in a lot of ways. He says, because of where we live and the time in which we live, 
it's not enough to say, well, I go to church and Bible's on my bedside. I get like little emails once in a while, some thoughts for the day. And I subscribe to a lot of social media posts of Bible verses. So if I'm scrolling Facebook, those come up. And I've got like some Christian friends. He says his experience is that that's insufficient. It was sufficient. It's no longer sufficient. He says you have to be hugely intentional to just meet the pressure from the world to walk away and to deconstruct your faith, yet alone to overcome it. See, in a culture that will feed your flesh at every turn, that will entice you to believe that your priorities should be how do you gain access to money, sex, power, and seize and use those as whatever way seems right in your own eyes, the underlying message through all of it, if you don't starve those voices and feed faithfulness, then I don't think you're going to withstand the culture's pressure. And not always, but often people who go down the road of deconstruction, that is the end result of years of not really feeding the spirit within them, they're feeding the flesh. You know, there's that, there's that, um, you guys have probably heard this, you know, the Cherokee uh, lesson with the, the grandfather and the son and the, and the Cherokee elder says to his grandson, there's, there's two wolves in your heart and they're fighting for, for control. And one is love and joy and peace and dignity and goodness. And the other is evil and it's greed and it's maliciousness and it's, um, yeah, malice. And the grandson says, well, which wolf wins? And the Cherokee elder says, well, the one that you feed. And you might say, well, I'm not feeding myself. I'm not going out of my way to look for messages of why I shouldn't believe in Christianity. That is maybe true, but the culture all around you is slow drip feeding that message. It is, it is feeding what Paul would call the flesh, that part of you that says, yeah, this is my life. Yeah, why am I trying to submit this to God? Right? It's like Bilbo in the ring. It's mine. Why shouldn't I keep it? Why shouldn't I just do what's right in my own eyes? We have to be intentional in forming a faith that isn't just good enough or has met the challenge of the past year or the past five years. We need to meet a new kind of challenge. I'm speaking to all of us, not just young people, all of us. So what can we do? This is the interaction. What? How do we build a faith that is strong, that is vibrant, that can stand against a cultural zeitgeist that is not going to let up anytime soon? The next 20 years are going to be, it's not going to be smooth sailing for Christians, people who want to intentionally follow Jesus. So what can we do? What are the patterns? What are the practices that we need to adopt if we want to begin strengthening our faith? growing our faith so that it can meet the moment and we don't get cr uh, crumpled under the pressure. I have a whole bunch of things that I wrote down. I'll share them with you over social media this coming week. We're not going to cover them all today, but I do want to invite you to say these are practices that have been very helpful, maybe coming out of a um, de deconstructive mode um, or just been really helpful lately to you. It can be something specific, something very broad. Let's just Throw out a few. 
What are some practices? Awesome, that's great, um, Rayanne. And I, and I would call that, I kind of had self-reflection, times to intentionally stop and to say, where are the pressure points coming from? How do I deal with that? How is my own heart doing before God? Whether it's journaling or just self-reflection, say, where am I at? And what, what unique forces are pressing upon me right now? Yeah, very, very good. Making sure that we're feeding the right wolf, so to speak. What else? Oh, very good. So not just generic community, and I know it's hard and it, it's not easy, but everybody in this room, ideally, you should have a Christian mentor who's slightly older, older than you, or you should be praying to get one. I don't care if you're 80, if you're 18, you should want someone a little bit further in the journey that you respect and trust. I know that's difficult because um, kind of grandmothers and grandfathers in the faith um, who finish well, it, but to be honest, it, it's, it's sometimes rare. We might not know that person, but we should be praying that God would bring that person into our life. Super important to have a mentor, not just a, a, a buddy or a peer. What else? Yeah, like what? Give me what are those daily, just daily things that you want to try and do every day? Yeah, time that's sequestered out that you treat as a um as an appointment devotional or three times a day you do that kind of like the morning quick lunch break prayer even for a few minutes and then in the evening you structure you put these inputs into your day maybe it's personal uh worship maybe it's a certain kind of prayer maybe it's prayers that you're reading maybe it's just memorizing a scripture one scripture for the day and you're going to cycle through it all day long but you are in you're not just waking up and hoping that happens, and hoping the, the seas part and there'll be opportunities to do that. You've already set the agenda on Sunday to say, this is how I'm feeding my faith this week. This is how I want to strengthen it. What else? Yes, yeah, so, oh, it's so important. I had solitude and silence, and I think that's key, to carve out time before, after you engage the word, when you take time to pray, to actually stop and listen, to be open for God, to put prompting an image on your heart, um, reinforce uh, something, bring something to mind. Um, we're not good, and evangelical traditions are much better at saying, study the Bible, say a prayer, and now you move on, you can get a lot of stuff done. And it's really important to slow down and to create room for the soul to just be in the presence of God. And sometimes there's nothing, it's just, Nothing. That's okay. Sometimes when you just sit with your spouse in a room, it's just the comfort of being in their presence and there's no mountaintop experience. And other times it leads to a really powerful uh, interaction. Paul, you had your hand up. So good. Yeah, sometimes we can get overwhelmed because we think it's on our shoulders to have an impact. Um, Andy Crouch calls this the impact fetish that has uh, kind of affected the church, that we think it's on us to make an impact. We are called to be faithful, 
we leave the results with God. That's hard for me to say because I want to have an impact. I have a vision for how I want God to work in my life. My role is to be faithful to Jesus in the spheres of influence that he's given to me and then trust the results to him. Because if you think the results depend on you, yeah, you can go crazy. You can get overwhelmed with stress. You, you are carrying a burden that you are not designed to carry. What's maybe one or two more other things quickly that you feel like you need, you could do to strengthen your faith? Pauline. Mm, yeah. Kind of like a, a visual prompt. Yep. Oh, I like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love it. Uh, I'll just repeat that. Just I keep, I keep always forgetting to repeat. I know that people who are listening to the recording don't hear um, everything, but um, yeah, Pauline shared just, just writing a J on her hand that acts as a visual prompt throughout the day to pause, bring her back to Jesus, pray, and it also acts as kind of a soft evangelism tool where people are like, oh, why do you have a J? And you can just kind of say, well, actually, it's, it's a prayer prompt that I use just to remind me to, to turn to Jesus. I love that. Um, anything else? One more? Being a part of church family. It's so big. Um, Josh Parker says, and this is true, he goes, the hardest message for especially young people who are deconstructing from an authoritarian or very unhealthy church environment is the answer to bad church is actually more church. He goes, that's a frustrating message. It doesn't mean the same church. But you go back and you reinvest in a healthy community that allows you to heal. And what many people do who deconstruct or who fail away from the faith and, and, um, yeah, and shrink away is they say, well, I had a bad church experience here, so now I'm going to withdraw, and it's now just kind of a private spirituality between me and Jesus. But you know, like I know, if you've traveled that path like I have, that just gets frailer and frailer and weaker and weaker. We really actually need each other. And part of what I would say with all of these things, let me just list a few more, because there's a few here that might be counterintuitive, but they're really important. So we talked about getting into the word and praying. And there's things like fasting, simplicity, doing fewer things over the course of your day and week, but doing them with more intention. Worship, fellowship. Connecting with people intentionally to grow in your face, small group or over coffee. Rest and recreation, recreation. Really taking time to rest and to enjoy and not always be trying to achieve and work through things. Sometimes we get spiritually burnt out because we're physically burnt out. Uh, confession, confessing our sins heals us, James says. Celebration, this is one that I hadn't thought of. How many of you have thought of celebration? as a spiritual discipline that's necessary for your ongoing faith and um, vibrancy. I, mean, I wouldn't have put my hand up if someone were to ask me that a week ago, but I found it on in a few sources in a few books, and I was like, yeah, we celebrate in order to remember God's blessings, to remember his faithfulness, to enjoy times of um, good food and just laughter and fun with friends and be like, yeah, God is good. Sometimes those are healing to the soul. Solitude, silence, generosity with our money and our time and our investments, self-examination, gratitude. It might even be a spiritual discipline of, of humbling yourself and saying, maybe I need therapy. Maybe I need help. 
not just in a mentoring sense, but um, I really actually need someone to hold space for me to work through things. Stewardship. You've received a gift, First Peter says. Use it to serve other people. We talked about that movement that people who are deconstructing can get more and more self-isolated and self-centered and caught in their own thoughts and not be living out and serving others. What I want to talk about when I mention these things is these are really important to do all the time. You want to be doing these before you hit that crisis of faith so that your faith is strong. And that doesn't mean having a strong faith is going to say, oh, this doesn't affect me at all. No problem. You're still going to have tears and heartaches and hardships. I've been doing a lot of this stuff for a long time. I still had nights two to three years ago. There was a lot of compounding pressures inside and without me where I would get up in the middle of the night and, you know, there's no exaggeration here. I would have tears pouring down my face and I would say, God, I cannot actually do this anymore. I can't do it anymore. You're going to have to help me. I got nothing. And there's so many competing demands, so many crises happening. I don't even know what it looks like to just bear the weight of it. You need these in your life so that when the time of testing comes, you have a great shot at being able to hold your soul in place where it needs to be. But when you are in the crises of faith and you don't want to do any of these things, that's when you actually have to do them more. Well, it's faith because I don't really feel it, so I'd just be going through the motions. Yep. Yep. It doesn't make it faith. That makes it faithful. Because if you're only going through the motions when everything's amazing, again, that's not a willful, disciplined, deliberate life. It's me saying, I don't want to show up and lead this church. I've got tears in my eyes. That's Saturday night. I show up on Sunday. Is that fake? Is that inauthentic? I mean, I'm not showing up and saying, you know, I'm at the breaking point. There is appropriate self-disclosure. But I keep showing up for prayer and for preaching and for worship. Because those are disciplines the Spirit will use to help me. And it's important to not see this as, oh, here's a huge to-do list I have to do on my own. This is over. Do this with people. All of these things should be things that you can just have someone in your life to invite them into, to help. And again, it's not about doing all of these things, but maybe for this month, you say, which is one that I want to focus on just for September to say, I want to grow and I want to strengthen my faith in this way. And why are we doing all this? It's not just arbitrarily to have a strong faith. It's to have a deep and abiding connection with Jesus. And these are some of the patterns, some of the disciplines, that if we don't live intentionally into them, the world's current will slowly erode our faith, our confidence, our assurance, our trust. And one day we'll wake up and it will be a very logical leap to say, yeah, I don't really know if I believe this stuff anymore. Now, again, I'm not trying to shame people who find themselves with that question. I want you to reach out to me. This is a, I hope you understand there's a safe and trusted process to hold you in that and to kind of reconstruct your faith. But what I am saying is that I've met many people who understood these things, didn't practice them. And then you fast forward 10 years, the rains come, the, the, the flood waters come, 
and their house is destroyed. Because they under, I know I'm supposed to build on Jesus. But I'm not actually doing it in everyday life. And Jesus says, it's not, oh, if you've heard these words, then you'll be fine. He says, if you've heard these words and put them into practice, then you build. And so if you're a believer this morning, like me, and you maybe um, have been in a season or are in a season where it's a little bit more like go with the flow and just kind of see how it goes. And um, yeah, like you're not really challenging yourself. You're not picking up a little bit of a heavier weight prayer-wise or Bible study-wise or service-wise or generosity-wise or rest-wise. Some of you need to work at rest. Some of you need to work much harder at not working than you currently are. Take one of these for September and press into it. And again, not just to do it as a spiritual challenge, but to say, I think this is an area where I need to be strengthened in my relationship with Christ. And if you're not a believer, I want to remind you that Christianity offers a strength and an empowerment that is received as a gift. And so place your faith in Christ, build your life on him. And once you start down that road, don't look back. Let's pray. God, as we close out this morning, we just pray and ask for your mercy and your grace that the words of this message, um, these scriptures that speak of strengthening faith, they would do a work in us. That you would, thank you for your promise that your word goes out and it doesn't return void. May we be strengthened as a community. And even this morning, Holy Spirit, would you activate our imaginations and show us, open up to us, bring to the forefront ways that we can engage these things in such a way that we are excited and we see the potential of what happens when we ground ourselves in you and stay faithful, even amidst questions and doubts and disillusion? Thank you for faith and uh, increase our faith, God. Amen.